Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. It's been 3,148 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 229 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, the attacks on Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure did not impact Ukraine's ability to wage war, and only succeeded in reinforcing Western support and bringing the war back into the news cycle. Second, in our assessment, the only way these attacks could be impactful is if Russia can maintain a sustained campaign over weeks at the same level of intensity— but the Russian armed forces no longer have the inventory to accomplish this. Third, Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will likely continue as Russia wastes its limited military cruise missile assets on non-essential targets that won't change the war's outcome. Fourth, we maintain our assessment that Russia is incapable of responding simultaneously to three counteroffensives in Luhansk, Kharkiv, and Kherson. Fifth, we maintain that if a Russian force of company size or larger surrenders in northern Kherson, it will create a cascade of surrendering troops. Sixth, we maintain that mass surrenders could become a logistical problem for Ukraine, which could overwhelm the ongoing counteroffensive. Seventh, we maintain that using tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield is highly unlikely as it would require striking what the Kremlin believes is Russian soil, and Russian forces are incapable of fighting in a conventional environment, let alone a CBRN setting. That's chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear. Eighth, we maintain Russia's mobilization efforts are ineffective due to corruption, a lack of preparation, violation of the social contract with the Russian people, and conscripts being sent en masse to Ukraine without vital equipment or training. Ninth, we maintain we are in the mutually assured destruction-instability paradox due to irresponsible language from the Kremlin, looming decisions from Moscow leadership, and the deteriorating kinetic warfare situation for Russian troops in Ukraine. And finally, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed, and has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing and accelerating collapse on multiple fronts. 
Conscripts that have been rushed to the Donbass have not slowed the deterioration and are not contributing to improving combat power. Let's get some regional updates, starting, as we always do, with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. Neither belligerent reliably reported significant fighting along the Kherson axis today, which appears to have stabilized after the second phase of the Ukrainian counteroffensive. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukraine tried to advance on Sadok and Borosensky using the equivalent of a full combined arms brigade and was unsuccessful. No other intelligence or social intelligence information was reported from any source, including pro-Russian mill bloggers, that supported the Russian MOD's claim. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported a significant increase in Russian artillery fire along the entire line of conflict. There was no indication that this was part of a pending offensive push. Ukrainian artillery activity was subdued, with Operational Command South, or OCS, reporting four airstrikes and 205 fire missions. Ukraine continued to focus on suppress and destroy enemy air defense activity and reportedly shot down a Russian Su-25 ground-attack aircraft near Dudchene. The GSAFU reported that a hangar holding Russian military equipment was destroyed in Bereslav. Russian sources claimed the Antonovsky Bridge had been hit by rockets fired by HIMARS as Ukrainian forces continued to interdict lines of communication, called locks, those are supply lines. At the time of recording, Russian positions in the city of Kherson were under attack by GMLRS, but there was no other information. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed heat anomalies near Russian-occupied Gizomis at the mouth of the Dnipro near the Stary Rivach River. Russia continues to shell southeastern Mykolaiv from the Kinburn Spit, with the coastal town of Kutsurub coming under fire. There weren't significant reports of damage or casualties. While Russian chatter of a looming Ukrainian amphibious assault on the Kinburn Spit has vanished, the shelling of Ochakiv and the surrounding towns has not. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. The status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant was unchanged from yesterday, and there were no reports of shelling or mine explosions at or near the plant. Nikopol, Chervonokhryorivka, and potentially Marchanets were attacked again with Grad and Uragan rockets fired by MLRS. There were no casualties reported, and the damage appeared to be light. Longer-range Tornado S rockets fired by MLRS hit the town of Velikomikhailivka. The scope of the damage was unclear, but Russian forces have increased the use of unguided Tornado S rockets, which can have a range of up to 120 kilometers. During the overnight hours, Zaporizhia was hit again by Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack. The missiles damaged both city and civilian infrastructure, including a school and a hospital. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. We can only report very sporadic artillery fire from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapol to Orykhiv to Shirbaki. 
Russian mill bloggers continue to report that Ukraine is preparing a large counteroffensive in the Orakhiv region. The Ukraine Territorial Defense Forces reported that a Russian Ka-52 alligator attack helicopter was shot down by the Zaporizhia Territorial Defense Brigade using a manpad. Russian helicopter pilots have paid a heavy price in Zaporizhia, where 20% of all Ka-52 choppers shot down since the start of the war kissed the ground near Rivnopil. In southwestern Donetsk, the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Militia Public Relations Channel did not release a report today, so we have no information on the alleged Ukrainian equipment destroyed or the number of artillery and rocket strikes. They did release a video showing mortar units firing, but in our analysis, the video was staged, and the drone video showing where the shells were landing did not match the weather and lighting conditions of the firing positions. Positional fighting continued near Pervomaisky with no change to the line of conflict. Shelling of Marinka was reportedly intense, but there wasn't any ground fighting. The wide-scale missile attacks on Ukrainian energy infrastructure knocked out power to as many as 42 communities within the self-declared Donetsk People's Republic due to transformers being damaged by power spikes through the lines. In northeast Donetsk, video shows that the fresh reinforcements of penal units from the private military company, or PMC Wagner Group, were used as cannon fodder. And that is a candid assessment. Poorly trained troops advanced across open areas, in broad daylight, under artillery fire, and followed marked paths. Perhaps unsurprisingly, heavy casualties were suffered. The losses were likely significant due to a sharp drop in ground fighting today. There was positional fighting and probing for weaknesses in Solidar and Bakhmutska. Fighting along the eastern edge of Bakhmut continued, with video recorded yesterday showing the torn and unclaimed bodies of Wagner mercenaries littering the terrain. Earlier reports by pro-Russian sources of an advance into Kordyumivka were false. They were not correct. Further south, the 1st Army Corps of the DNR 3rd Brigade renewed attempts to advance into Mayorsk and continued to be unsuccessful. Quick sidebar here. We've noticed a sort of odd pattern. There are no attempts to attack Mayorsk on Sundays, and this has been consistent since attempts to advance past the train station started in August. It doesn't matter which forces are leading the attack. It's just one of those oddities of war. Let's move on to Luhansk. The Russian MOD falsely claimed that Ukrainian forces had not crossed the Zherebets River and were held back at Raichorodka and Makayivka. Makayivka was confirmed to be liberated over the weekend and has received humanitarian aid, and Ukraine hasn't made any claims on Raichorodka. Pro-Russian sources also claim that Terny and Torske were recaptured, likely extrapolating from the Russian MOD claim that Ukrainian forces never crossed the Zherebets. There were no photos, videos, or claims in social intelligence from multiple sources. The GSAFU reported on October 9th that an attack on Terny was successfully repulsed, which we covered in yesterday's episode. Additionally, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions in Terny and Makiivka were shelled by Russian forces, indicating that both settlements are under Ukrainian control. 
Pro-Russian sources also reported that Russian troop concentrations in Rubizhne, in Luhansk, were struck by rockets fired by HIMARS. The GSAFU reported that Bilohorivka, also in Luhansk, came under particularly heavy artillery fire by Russian forces. A video recorded last week during the Ukrainian counteroffensive showed M31 fragmentation rockets fired by HIMARS destroying an entire battery of Russian Uragan 220mm MLRS and another battery of 2S19 Mista S 152mm self-propelled howitzers. Up to 15 Russian vehicles were destroyed in the attacks, which were geolocated in Novolyubimivka and Makivka. The M31 rockets were recently provided to Ukraine. Unlike cluster munitions, which include bomblets that may or may not all detonate, the M31 is a shaped charge with 182,000 tungsten BBs that can cover up to 1.3 square kilometers, that's half a mile, with high-velocity flaming white-hot metal shards. Quick assessment here. If Ukraine is using HIMARS and M270 launchers for targets of opportunity, it does not bode well for the state of Russian logistics and command and control structure. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, where there was little activity reported, with Ukraine controlling over 98% of the Kharkiv oblast. Pro-Russian sources claimed that Ukrainian troops attempted to advance into Tanvilzhanka, east of the Dovrich-Nashyanikivka bridgehead, but were unsuccessful. In the Cherniv and Sumy region, Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Romadas of Bilopilia, Krasnopilia, Velika Pisarivka, and Yunakivka were hit by artillery and mortar shells fired from across the international border. We'll have more information on that in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Governor Zhivitsky also reported there was a border skirmish in the Shoska district with an exchange of machine gun fire. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, up to eight Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were shot down from the skies over Odessa and Mykolaiv overnight. At the time of recording, there were no reports of significant damage or injuries. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. On the Russian front, Ukraine shelled the Russian border town of Tietkino, which is the location of a firebase that has repeatedly shelled several villages in the Sumy Oblast for months. The strike set a small factory on fire. Thanks to bad Russian OPSEC, that's operational security, a thorough battle damage assessment was provided on the railroad line of the Kerch Bridge. The video showed significant damage to the railroad tracks where the tanker cars were parked and caught fire. Some of the railcar trucks, and by that I mean the railcar wheels, were fused to the tracks, which were severely deformed from the intense heat. At the 26-second mark in the video, evidence suggested the parallel railroad tracks also suffered heat damage. Toward the end of the video, another set of trucks, remember, that's wheels, for a tanker car appeared to have fallen through the upper decking of the bridge, indicating potential structural damage lurking below that area. We link to the video on Twitter, 
and in our full situation report on Patreon. Russian state media reported that up to 1.2 kilometers of railroad tracks would have to be replaced on the damaged line, but continued to report that cargo and passenger traffic was using the other side. The new video does not support that report, however, with the second rail line being used for the continued recovery effort to remove the damaged rail cars. The same video showed that the single-lane roadway opened earlier was closed while additional repair work and evaluation were happening. Russia lost two more airframes due to accidents. An Su-24 crashed in the Rostov region during a training flight. The crew was able to eject, but the plane was a total loss. A Russian Su-25 crashed near Rogalak shortly after takeoff. The pilot was unable to eject in time and was killed in the crash. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The Russian Ministry of Defense authorized a widespread missile attack across Ukraine that utilized various weapons, including Iskander-M short-range ballistic missiles, or SRBM, caliber KH-101, KH-555, and KH-59 cruise missiles, S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack, Tornado S rockets fired from MLRS, and Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 combat drones. The attack utilized Russian ground and air forces and the Black Sea Fleet. The GSAFU reported 84 rockets and missiles and 24 drones were used in the attack. At least one more missile experienced a catastrophic failure in flight, crashing in Russia's Rostov region. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian air defenses intercepted 43 missiles and 13 drones. One cruise missile was shot down in a very lucky strike by a Ukrainian soldier firing a manpad. Some quick assessment here. Ukrainian air defenses reported they shot down just under 50% of incoming drones and missiles. Given the scope of the attack, the amount of airspace that had to be protected, and the available resources— Ukrainian air defenses were admirable. The defense would have been considered successful by almost any other nation. Despite the efforts of the Ukrainian air defenses, over 20 cities were struck, including Kyiv, Lviv, Rivne, Zhytomyr, Ternopil, Khmelnytsky, Ivano-Frankivsk, Vinitsia, Priluki, Nizhin, Konotop, Kharkiv, Kremenchuk, Dnipro, Kriviri, Zaporizhia, Mykolaiv, and Odessa. Russian missiles and drones targeted Ukraine's electrical and communications infrastructure, and at the height of the attacks, 15 oblasts experienced partial or total power outages. The loss of power impacted water and sewer services and internet and cellular communications. The Ukrainian government prioritized restoring internet and cellular services in impacted areas and distributed diesel generators to restore communications in the most hard-hit regions. At the time of recording, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky reported the situation had improved dramatically. The most significantly impacted oblasts were Kyiv, Lviv, Sumy, and Ternopil, where 301 communities still lacked electrical power. Cherniv and Dnipropetrovsk were still heavily impacted, and total restoration could take additional time. Power had been restored to half of the Kharkiv Oblast, and full restoration was expected by October 12th. Poltava and Khmelnytsky Oblasts were still experiencing scattered power outages, 
while the rest of Ukraine already had electrical service restored. Quick sidebar here. Can I say how impressed I am with Ukrainian public utilities? October 12th is tomorrow, and many communities already have power restored. The last time I went through a hurricane in the southeastern United States, we didn't get our power back for over two weeks, and we weren't even in an active war zone. I am legitimately impressed. Many missiles missed their targets. A video from Kyiv shows two Russian cruise missiles missing the power plant they were targeting, with one striking outside the complex and the other completely overshooting. Two more missiles that were likely targeting a power plant struck an office tower that holds the Ukrainian headquarters of Samsung and the passport office of the German consulate. Other missiles made direct hits on what were likely their intended targets. More than a thousand firefighters and rescue personnel were involved in the emergency response to the attacks. A fun fact, a $13 million KH-101 cruise missile targeted a pedestrian bridge in a Kiev park and missed by such a wide margin that the glass structure suffered very light damage and no pedestrians were injured. The missile left a crater in the ground on a dirt pedestrian walking trail below the bridge. A Forbes article claimed Russia used four to $700 million worth of munitions in yesterday's attack. That would be equivalent to almost 1% of the nation's entire military budget for the year. The figure is imprecise because the exact number of each type of missile, drone, and rocket used is unknown. Russian President Putin called the attacks, quote, proportionate to the strike on the Kerch Bridge and threatened further attacks if other Russian infrastructure targets were struck. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said through a spokesperson that he was, quote, deeply shocked by Russia's attack. UN spokesman Stéphane Duharic wrote, quote, This constitutes another unacceptable escalation of the war, and as always, civilians are paying the highest price. End quote. European Union President Ursula von der Leyen wrote, quote, Shocked and appalled by the vicious attacks on Ukrainian cities, Putin's Russia has again shown the world what it stands for brutality and terror. I know that Ukrainians will stay strong. The EU will stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes, with all the means we have. End quote. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg condemned the attack and reported he had consulted with Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba after the attacks. Stoltenberg wrote on Twitter, quote, NATO will continue supporting the brave Ukrainian people to fight back against the Kremlin's aggression for as long as it takes. End quote. United Kingdom's Prime Minister Liz Truss called for a full meeting of all NATO members in response to Russia's aggression. She also labeled the attacks a sign of desperation and proof that Ukraine was succeeding in fighting against the Russian invasion. According to a statement given on Monday, United States President Joe Biden said he, quote, "...strongly condemns Russia's missile strikes across Ukraine. Attacks killed and injured civilians and destroyed targets with no military purpose. We will continue to impose costs on Russia for its aggression." They once again demonstrate the utter brutality of Mr. Putin's illegal war on the Ukrainian people. End quote. Lithuania's foreign minister, Gabrielus Landsbergis, declared an even stronger message, saying, quote, It's time for more than just air defense systems. 
It's time to give Ukraine all the weapons she needs to fully defend her people, land, sea, and sky against the genocidal aggression of Putin's terrorist state. End quote. China and India offered muted responses, with the diplomatic community stating that any response was significant. The New York Times reported that Mao Ning, a spokesperson for China's foreign ministry, said, quote, All countries deserve respect for their sovereignty and territorial integrity. Support should be given to all efforts that are conducive to peacefully resolving the crisis. End quote. It was the strongest statement from China yet. India's response was a little bit more tepid. Arindum Bagchi, a spokesperson for India's Ministry of External Affairs, said, quote, India is deeply concerned at the escalation of the conflict in Ukraine, including the targeting of infrastructure and deaths of civilians, end quote. In our assessment, these attacks smacked of desperation. They were done to appease growing discontent among the Russian population after a series of high-profile defeats caused public criticism of President Putin's leadership abilities and the Kremlin running out of scapegoats to blame. The secondary goal was aimed at breaking the will of the Ukrainian people. However, history has shown that terror bombings of a united people's population centers only galvanize resistance. The secondary reaction in the global diplomatic space was equally damaging. China's messaging after the attack was noteworthy, given their mention of respecting territorial integrity, which appears to signal Beijing's disapproval of the sham referendums. The other failure for the Kremlin is this put the war in Ukraine back into the public information sphere, with the attacks dominating the global news cycle. Finally, Russian's missile reserves are reaching a critical state. Yesterday's attack appears to have been cobbled together from various weapon systems that continue to demonstrate poor performance and low precision. Russia has repeatedly demonstrated that it will waste limited military resources on low-value targets, which include a playground, a pedestrian bridge, two colleges not used for military functions, museums, and civilian office buildings. Yesterday's attack did not target any command and control structures, Ukrainian military leaders, troop concentrations, ammunition storage, air bases, or other vital military infrastructure. Look, unless the Russian Ministry of Defense intends to attack Ukraine's energy infrastructure until it turns to dust, the only thing Russia succeeded in doing yesterday was reinforcing broad support for Ukraine and pushing weak allies deeper toward neutrality. In our final assessment, We believe Russia does not have the missile and drone inventory to run a Syria-style terror campaign across the largest European nation with 40 million people. If this is General Sergei Sorovyakin's intent, Russia runs the real risk of going so deep into its strategic missile reserve as to have little left if a second front were to erupt somewhere else. Speaking of unintended consequences, let's talk about Russian mobilization. The flood of mobics moving into training has reduced to a trickle as Russia struggles to train and equip the new soldiers properly. There are unconfirmed reports that there are a growing number of surrenders from fresh conscripts. The newly minted and untrained soldiers are attempting to return to Russia and stumble into Ukrainian positions or get captured by special operation forces. Total numbers are still low and likely measured in the dozens. In the short term, 
The new Mobics have been ineffective in Kharkiv, Luhansk, Kherson, and Donetsk, with sky-high casualty rates. A training video was released showing how PMC Wagner prepares recruits for combat. The video shows trainers firing at recruits at point-blank range while making them put on tourniquets and maneuver. Highly recommend watching it for yourself. There's lots of rolling around in the dirt and nearly getting shot by their commanders. We link to it on Twitter and in our full situation report on Patreon. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is some graphic detail in today's report, and if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Russian terror attacks across Ukraine killed 19 and wounded 105, with those numbers expected to climb. One civilian was killed and four wounded when Russian artillery fire destroyed an apartment building in the Bilopilia Romada in the Sumy Oblast. Russian forces have been shelling the border villages in Sumy since May. An extremely graphic video emerged from near Kupiansk, showing a stripped and bound person rolled into a mass grave after execution. The video showed that it was possible other victims in the grave were still alive. This video is absolutely not suitable for work or for children, and viewer discretion is strongly advised. If you want to watch the video, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. A second video clip emerged showing Russian troops walking the execution victim while still alive past the mass grave to the top of the ridge, where they were then killed. The grave has at least four bodies of civilian men and women partially buried. In geopolitical news, Estonia passed legislation officially recognizing Russia as a terrorist state. Urmas Reinsalu, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, said, quote, The Republic of Estonia considers Russia a state sponsor of terrorism, and the international community must do likewise. End quote. Reinsalu also condemned the missile attacks on Ukraine, calling the act cowardly. In economic news, Ukraine announced it was suspending electricity exports after yesterday's attack so it could stabilize its own power grid. The war caused millions of Ukrainians to flee and dramatically reduced industrial output, which created a glut of electrical generation capacity. To aid the European Union and to provide a stream of revenue, Ukraine was connected to the European grid, enabling the nation to sell its excess electrical power. Income from electricity sales was expected to top $2.5 billion this year. Russian forces severed the lines connecting to Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, cutting excess power generation in half, and yesterday's attack eliminated the reserves. The ruble declined further, with an exchange rate of 64 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices declined as China announced more COVID-19 lockdowns. WTI crude fell to $90 a barrel, while Brent dropped to 95 United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market dropped to $2.61 a gallon, or $0.69 cents a liter. Chicago SRW wheat futures held steady, trading at $9.26 a bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then... Stay safe, everyone.
You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.